Hi, my name is Janelle Engelstad, and welcome to the MAP Radio Hour, a Make Art with Purpose podcast. The MAP Radio Hour includes conversations with creatives, scientists, and other people addressing the intersection of cultural, political, and environmental concerns. You can find out more about MAP and our projects at makeartwithpurpose.net. City with Sarah Colbert, who's in town from London, to talk about craftivism, a practice she has been, would you say, craftivating for several years now, <laughs> activating and craftivating for several years now, and we're going to learn about that today. She's in the city to talk about her work uh, both at Parsons and FIT and attend to other New York business, and welcome to the MAP Radio Hour, Sarah. Thanks for having me. We're glad to have you. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. Is there a verb for what you do? I don't know. I always struggle to say what I do when people say, what do you do? Yeah. So I do activism using handicrafts, but specifically around gentle protest. So slow activism, giving gifts to power holders rather than screaming at them, provoking people rather than preaching at them, that kind of thing. Right. I know you grew up with parents who were activists, so that was still are, still yeah. are part of your upbringing. And then you went to university and studied activism through the lens of spirituality and mm-hmm. religion. And yeah, did you always have sort of a practice on the other side that was craft oriented? No, not at all. Uh, I've always drawn, so I was always that strange, quiet child that would be in the corner doodling. I used to draw in front of the mirror a lot to do backwards things, Mm. very odd. And then, like, painting, and at school wasn't taught craft at all. And only got into craft in 2008 when I was travelling around the UK a lot when I worked for the Government Department for International Development, training people up in activism. I really missed using my hands and being creative and I couldn't paint on trains. So I just picked up a very small cross-stitch kit thinking, well, at least I can make something even if I don't like the design and I don't know what to do with it because everything I was doing was online and reports and... And then it just sort of clicked that, one, it slowed me down and calmed me down when I was feeling very anxious as a burnt-out activist and doubting my effectiveness in activism, personally as well as professionally. It gave me this space to, this very safe, comforting space to ask myself uncomfortable questions, which any other medium hadn't given me, like Peyton or just sitting there thinking... There was this magic that the process of craft really helped with my activism. And then I noticed all these other benefits over the years. So it happened very organically and very strangely. Yeah, I really value that place and those tools 
for lack of a better word, that put us in that space where we ask ourselves questions. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, it gives us a space to grow and evolve. Mm. Yeah, because if you're not using your hands and you ask yourself quite scary questions of, am I being effective in my activism? Is it making sense? Am I going to burn out as an introvert doing activism? You know, if I wasn't using my hands, I could easily go in a downward spiral like most people mm-hmm. do. So to have something where you're creating something which is naturally very empowering because every mark you make you're like I'm making a mark I'm doing something even if it's very simple like a cross stitch pattern there is so much about also using your hands while you're thinking I mean you know this in your work the more senses you use the more engaged you are in the issue the more likely you are to remember it it's a discipline to help you with that critical thinking without your mind wandering off because you've got something you're physically using your hands to sort of keep you on track. How did you make that journey or that leap from that first cross stitch on the train to realizing, oh, there's something broader going on here. I feel like I can bring this practice into my activist work Mm. and things can happen that might not already be happening. What was the light bulb that went off? Yeah, so it was a long train journey from London to Glasgow, Uh which is quite a number of hours. And for me, the first thing I noticed with craft is you can't do it fast. So I'm so, I mean, we're all so used to doing things super fast, clicking lots of things quickly. And just separating your thread means, you know, if you do it fast, it knots up or it breaks. So it really made me completely aware of how my body was, how I had very shaky hands because I was trying to do things too fast. By separating the thread, I noticed how tense my shoulders were, how shallow my breath was. And as I'm not, you know, a mindful person at all, I never, and I think a lot of activists, I don't know whether you'd agree, it feels like a luxury to think about how am I doing, how's my health, when there's so much injustice in the world, you just want to go out and do stuff. So it's the first time I actually noticed how tired I was physically, how jittery I was, how my mind was whizzing around and not calming down. And that craft just forced me to slow down, which nothing had given me that opportunity before. And definitely no activist groups had told anyone to calm down that I'd been part of so the fact that the craft forced me to slow down made me very mindful of how I was feeling but also people on the train were looking like quite intrigued about what I was doing because this was nearly 10 years ago when people don't craft on trains right I mean people don't now but yeah it's a little more little more trendy now yeah completely and um people were looking over and I'd smile and then get back to my work So I wouldn't say, do you want to ask me what I'm doing? And people would ask me what I'm doing. And then we'd get into these conversations. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I wish I was 
cross-stitch and a Gandhi quote or something because then we can have these conversations. Right. So the slowness, I thought, could be really useful for that critical thinking, using the repetitive action of craft for critical thinking and discussion. But if I was also stitching a message around social change, if people said, what are you doing? I could say, I'm stitching this message that's going to go out into the public. Where would you put it to engage people? What do you think about this message? What's your view? So it was a very natural process in my head that craft seems to be useful here, here and here. And that was all coming on that first train, right? That first train with those two elements. Right. And then over the years, a lot of my craftivism has been problem solving. So my local politician was ignoring um, lots of petitions I was sending. And I actually got an email from her office staff telling me to stop contacting them because it was a waste of time. So I embroidered her a handkerchief saying don't blow it use your power for good I know you've got a difficult job but I really want you to use your power to help the most vulnerable people in the world and protect our planet and how can I help because I thought I'm not a clicktivist I'm not a slacktivist I'm not an angry activist that is just going to scream at you even though it was very clear we have very different political ideologies so for me getting that email made me think I need to show that I care deeply about these issues, but also that I'm not going to label her and be aggressive, mm-hmm. like lots of activists have a bad mm-hmm. name for. Mm-hmm. So how can I show I'm committed? I can spend hours stitching her a gift to then create a conversation. My MP has to meet me as a constituent, so I asked to meet her and handed over this gift to say... You know, I really want to be a good constituent. I want us to have these discussions. I'm very open to hearing why you voted in a particular way on an issue that I disagree with, because I might change my mind if I'm not educated enough in the issue that you are, or vice versa. And it was incredible the way she went from being very guarded to being very confused by my handkerchief, to then us having a very open, honest discussion, because... I'd given this handkerchief with humility, never trying to take the power away from her, but encourage her with a timeless message that she could keep. And it was this tool that really felt quite transformational rather than a lot of activism that can feel very transactional. Yeah. We want this, are you going to do it or not? Yeah, I think that that's one of the most valuable things for me in that story is hearing this idea of listening to the other side so I think what we've seen so much in recent years and decades is there's extreme individualism Mm -hmm. there's and there's this factions of division and and it you know in the 70s or 80s it felt like two sides could come together and compromise and work together for instance in the states when Ronald Reagan was president Mm. The Congress was run by uh, a Democrat uh, Speaker of the House, was Tip O'Neill. Mm-hmm. And they came together and passed legislation. There wasn't this extreme partisan division that we have now. Yeah. And for me, as an American, I'm, I'm thinking a lot lately, like, what does it mean to be an American? Yeah. And what is my identity as American, especially now in a time of such division in our yeah. country? And we see division in the world, I mean, around the migration crisis. And, mm-hmm. and the art of listening to the other side and having conversations and at least 
you know, we make an attempt to understand where are they coming from, I yeah, think is so important. Like the empathy, got, yeah. And so many of my projects, I have little craft-of-thought questions in the kits for people, so questions to reflect on while you're doing the making. And I don't focus on, think about how the victims or those affected feel, because we naturally tend to do that if we're coming to a campaign that we care about. I have questions in there about... If you were this power holdout, what do you think the barriers are for them to make a positive change? You know, what do we have as barriers in terms of family life, in terms of capacity, in their role? It might be that they've got to make profit for their shareholders. So put yourself in their shoes. How would you do their job? Because it's so easy for us on the outside to say they're evil human beings, they're doing this on purpose, they might be doing something harmful without even realising because mm -hmm. they've got so many other things on their agenda to think through or they've got to still make profit, so how can we do it where alongside it they're encouraging renewable energies and they're treating their workforce well to say this is good business sense and not just be purists saying you're awful and we're right and for me, it just comes back to maturity. I actually think, I don't know whether you agree, a lot of our activism is just immature. It's tantrums, it's claiming power, it's screaming at each other like toddlers. And when I talk about my approach to craftivism, which is gentle protest, which is in the title of the book, I get a lot of pushback, like FIT people immediately, I could see in the audience, like, gentle, ugh can't be gentle we can't compromise that's a weakness when we know in every other part of life we have to compromise mm -hmm. in our all our relationships in I mean, our, you know our marriages our yeah. in our family life so in why in activism do we do stuff that's so different to the rest of life and to negotiate and listen to each other is seen as a weakness rather than a enormous strength you know to give a power holder that you disagree with massively to give them a gift is such a strong thing to do it's really right. difficult to try and empathize with them it's difficult to acknowledge that they have power that you don't and you want to encourage them to do well rather than presume they want to do awful things you know that requires a lot of emotional intelligence and humility and putting the cause before celebrity or your own ego I think it's really difficult and people see it as weak and fluffy and passive sometimes right. I mean when you so I met you here right when you first heard about craftivism what was your immediate view <laughs> well so but my mother is a my mother's a craft person. I mean, she's okay. a she was in charge of her local needlework guild. Oh, brilliant! So I and she. Do you know the power of craft? I do. I mean, mm. sir, and she was politically active. She never joined the two things together. Okay. So I came to it from a background that allowed an an openness to hearing yeah. what is this? Yeah. See, the, my immediate <laughs> thoughts because I don't have a craft background. Right. Is, craft ugh are we going back in feminism like really like I I always doubt what I'm doing because I use I mean you know I use very kitsch colors very right small purposefully so it's not aggressive so people are intrigued by it but I do worry that am I fueling this whole like feminine craft kitsch craft yeah I can understand that but 
I mean, if you look at like the history of needlework in the U.S., mm. women came together in yeah. the 18th century. I mean, that was where women could gather. Yeah. Yeah. And they were sewing together, mm-hmm. and they had discussions, and yeah. it, and they provided a place for things to be ideas to be exchanged and, and birth that they couldn't and do deep discussions. Deep discussions, Not and there's a history. The that's like. a well documented history yeah. Yeah. in American folk mm-hmm. art. this space of inquiry and Mm. creating a sanctuary for conversations where people use the art of craft to have discussions about activism and activist concerns. But you've also impacted policy. Well, that's the point about a lot of activism. Right. But but a lot of activism doesn't do that. It doesn't, yeah. And I think that's something that's really valuable. And I know for me as an what I do with art and activism, one of my most valuable moments was when we did a project in California several years ago that students created posters that spoke out against gun violence. Mm -hmm. They worked with mentors, with professional mentors. This was in San Francisco. And then in L.A., we did it again, and they did billboards with professional mentors. And these were high school and college students Those students who participated in the Bay Area went and spoke to the state government in Sacramento, to the legislature. Good. During a time when the legislature was actually reviewing its gun laws. Yeah. And they were hearing all sides. Brilliant. So the students went down Mm -hmm. and they talked about their experiences and their point of view Mm -hmm. and their project. And the project was more than them just creating these posters that were photographs of... We had media literacy courses so that they could really understand the role of the media, Good, how the yeah. media you know, shapes messages, yeah. and the power of the media. And mm-hmm. one of the goals of my practice over the years is to put media into the hands of people who don't have it. Yeah. And as a result of what they and many other people did coming to it from their angle is the strongest gun legislation in the United States was passed. And it felt so rewarding to be a little part of that. Yeah, yeah. And to say, okay, this is, you know, we're not only making, we're acting. Yeah. And you're being strategic. Right. And that's what I always come back to is some activism, I struggle with whether it is activism. So when people say donating or fundraising is activism, I'm like, well, it's not. They're very different things. And coming from the charity sector as a campaigner, we would never call donating activism you know it's a different part that is needed for emergency relief but it's not going to cure the systems and structures that are causing poverty or harm and the same with awareness raising I worry at the moment that there's a lot of activism out there that isn't acting on what are we going to change whether it's a policy or whether it's a whether it's a government law or whether it's a business policy or whether it's cultures or behaviors that's what activism is it's changing those systems and structures whereas a lot of what you see now that says it's activism is just awareness raising and that mm-hmm. can disempower people more than empower them because if you just say 
isn't this awful? People agree or disagree because it's quite a passive way because you're not asking an intriguing question for people to think for themselves. But you're not saying this is what we could do. This is the world that we want. How are we going to reach there? So all of my work always engages with what are we aiming towards? What vision are we aiming towards? So we're not just focusing on the negative, but also where can we be part of the solution? So exactly like your poster, I'll look at the issue and say, okay, what are other organisations doing and where are their gaps? Where are their gaps with engaging influential audiences? The other forms of activism might struggle with engaging, like introverts mm-hmm. or particular customers of businesses that are scared of extrovert or aggressive activism. And where can we be of use with timing as well? So one campaign we did with a enormous retailer in the UK on the living wage the timing was really important exactly like your posters because we had five weeks before the AGM to make gifts for the board members that we could physically meet and what's the AGM annual general meeting so it's where all shareholders and high up staff of the company meet and media are there, and we knew that there would be media covering it as well. And it's over 500 people. It's one of the biggest AGMs. It's nearly a 1,000 people now. But you can physically meet the board the and the chair of the board that it would be really difficult to meet in any other situation. So to physically hand over very small bespoke gifts to them as shareholders saying, we really care about your staff and how being on minimum wage is not a dignified way to live and it's not fair that that your staff work really hard full-time and they can't pay their rent and as a company it makes business sense to pay the living wage for all of these reasons so we want to encourage you to be a living wage employer so it's done in a very positive way but with huge commitment we made sure that the gift makers the craftivists were specifically their target demographic it's looking at where you can be of use so some of the stuff we do is street art to provoke particular audiences and then lead them on a supporter journey to a particular campaign organization that they could find out more information from so some of it's light touch some of it's very heavy policy but it's a real mix of seeing where craft can be useful but also craft is not useful in lots of areas and i think as craftivists we need to really be critical of the work we do and be thoughtful be thoughtful be strategic challenge ourselves on whether we're shoehorning our love of craft or art into politics right or whether we're using it as a useful tool and a lot of craftivists not a lot a few craftivists just say i just wanted to put something out there or i just like craft so i'll make it political and then i'll you know, in lots of ways you feel better about yourself by just right. doing something political so you can say, I've done my bit and I love craft in any way. So there's a real tension in the craftivism community where, you know, people might love to knit and they'll knit lots of blankets for the homeless and say that's their craftivism. And I want to challenge it by saying, one, it's not activism because you're not challenging and changing the structures that are causing people to be homeless or some of them, it's donation, and it might not be that dignified. Is it more about you loving making knitted blankets, or is it about whether that homeless person wants your knitted blanket? Right. And often the knitted blankets are multicoloured, when if you speak to 
people who live on the streets, they'll normally say, I don't want anything that draws attention to me <laughs> yes. because the police will move me on or yeah. it'll make me unsafe when I'm asleep. Right. And it doesn't weather well. If it rains, it'll start to smell. Right. So I think with art and activism, there's a real tension with... I have to always remind people your activism is the priority. Which creative medium is best used for this bit of activism? What fonts do you use? What colours do you use? What textures do you use? So that it enhances your activism rather than distracts from your activism. Or you use it as an excuse to say you're doing activism when you might not be. I right, mean, that's right, this right. constant challenge with art yeah, and, and I th- activism, yeah. I think, that you never get it perfect. Or in activism in general, you know, there's this idea that you can so easily online now sign all these petitions. Yeah, and feel like you've done something. And feel like you've done something. You've yeah. done your bit. You send this thing off and you really have no idea what happens after you hit send, you know. But I think with art, people who make art and like being creative... It's really hard to sense yourself to say, I love painting, but I don't do painting activism because I don't think it's effective. Mm-hmm. I don't actually... My passion is not craft, and craft groups get nervous when I say, I don't love craft. I love the fact that it could be really powerful for the process to create these conversations, for this humble, small, delicate object that intrigues people rather than causes, you know... It doesn't look aggressive, it's not hard, it's very soft. Mm-hmm. All of that, for me, makes it really effective for activism. But I have to say to people, like, you might really love crochet, but actually it's not that effective for this particular right. issue. Right. Activism's hard work, <laughs> and it's a craft right. to hone and be aware of the context that you're in. So I think it's, yeah, constantly critiquing it, but never having paralysis of analysis and just giving up. And that's a tension, I think, for a lot of activists, is how do you carry on in a sustainable way, knowing that it often takes decades to see the impact. Well, great. Well, thanks, Sarah. This has been really interesting, and I know you have a website where people can learn more. Why don't we tell them where they can find out more about you and your book and what you're up to? So everything is on craftivist-collective.com. The MAP Radio Hour is funded in part by the Lift Your Voice Advocacy Fund. Production by Matthew Horton. Theme song and logo by Otto Huditz. I'm Janelle Engelstad. Thanks for listening. And visit the Make Art with Purpose website to connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.